Greetings and salutations, all you beautiful people, and welcome to another episode of Art of the Beholder, a show dedicated to all things eclectic in the world of art, where we do deep dives into deep cuts and help you understand why damn things matter. I'm your host, Novo Day, and today we're going to be talking about art in film and filmmaking by discussing the budding career, emphasis on budding, of artist David Lowry. To hash it out, I am going to introduce a new guest today. A Mr. Ryan Selvey. He's a freelance videographer, film enthusiast, and yes, our spirit guide for the episode. Not a fox, not a fox, but a man. You can check him out on his Instagram, eatc.films, and you can get a hold of him, check out his services. If you want to uh, give him a shout, please do so. Ryan, welcome to the show, man. Hey, what up, man? How you doing? I am good. I'm excited. I... I've been, oh my God, I've been binging on Lowry for yeah. a week. I, I, I've I, done one movie a day for this entire week for this show, did my homework, did my research. I, I'm bursting. We have to talk about him. Absolutely. Let's do it. Let's get into it. Oh my God. Okay. So why? Let's, let's give the good people a little background. Why are we talking about David Lowry today? So he is, and uh, you know, Ryan, if you got, you got something to say here, this is, you know, this is a perfect uh, segue before our introduction to his background, because he's really a part of a new generation of filmmakers that really toes this line between art house and like old fashioned blockbuster. Like if you were to put him on like a, um, like a matrix, you know, like the, where the lines intersect is, is a little bit of art house, a little bit of traditional filmmaking, a la the blockbuster. But of course he leans on the art house and he does so fuck fucking masterfully. Yeah, yeah, he um his his out heart house look is I think to me a much bigger uh sign of who he is than his blockbuster side. Um yeah, he's I think he's his skill and his talent with his writing and his his editing and his directing has brought him, you know, straight to the um big box office films and mm-hmm. working with big production companies, but his vision on screen is I think why we're here talking about him and why you've talked about him in other episodes, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I, and what's great is, you know, we've talked about this before in other shows, like he's still kind of in the middle, maybe even like beginning middle of his career. So I'm so excited to see what else he does. So guys, we're just going to be talking about, um, so full disclaimer, uh, we're going to be talking, if you actually look up this guy, uh, if you've never heard of heard about him before, you'll see on something like Wikipedia or IMDb, he actually has a long, long uh, set of credentials. He's done a lot of stuff from being a writer, producer, EP, editor, uh, but we want to focus today on what I would call his babies, which is where he got to write and direct the film. So it's completely, I mean, obviously as a team behind him, but it's it's definitely his vision, his his uh, project to really uh, take creative lead on. But before we can discuss, of course, we need a little background. So David Lowry was, was born on December 26th, 1980 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. At the age of 19, he wrote and directed his first short, and that is called Lullaby. And the rest, as they say, is history. He's been working in the film industry ever since. Now, uh, Lowry's first traditional feature was a film called St. Nick, which follows two runaway children abandoned by their guardians. Um, I tried, Jesus Christ, I tried so hard, Ryan, yeah. to find. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tried so so hard to find his 
his original work before uh, Ain't Them Body Saints, but I could not find it anywhere. Have yeah. you had any luck? No luck. I um, That was actually what I wanted to watch after I revisited Ain't Them Body Saints. And I was like, you know what? Let me get the Saint Nick. Nah. <laughs> no, nah, it, it is in the ether somewhere. You'd have to go to his house to find that thing. And yes, if you look at his filmography, too, 2005, he did a movie called Dead Room, too, where he uh, wrote, directed and edited, did everything. Uh, but I feel like I guess he gets a little more notoriety for St. Nick. So I did try to look for Dead Room, too, with, again, no avail, like absolutely no luck. So we're going to start with Ain't Them Body Saints today. And um, to do so, uh, you know. I do want to say this before we actually dive in. So in 2011, too, I mean, this guy wears so many goddamn hats. Yeah. I mean, uh, he started his own production production company called Sailor Bear. And that same year, he wrote and directed a short film called Pioneer, whereas in 2013, he had his breakout. And this is, again, where we're going to be starting our discussion with Ain't Them Body Saints. This is technically his second feature. Uh, but uh, before we do so, a little word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Liquid IV. Guys, if you don't know what Liquid IV is, well, buckle up because I'm going to throw you a game changer. Liquid IV is a hydration multiplier that not only tastes great, but is a non-GMO electric light drink mix. Powered by cellular transport technology to deliver hydration to the body faster and more efficiently than water can just do alone. One stick contains three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks with five essential vitamins. Now, I pride myself on telling you about things that I either already like or just use in my everyday life. And I have to say, I've actually been a fan of Liquid IV for a long, long time now. I use it for everything from, you know, just long runs to stay in shape, all those late nights with those after hours or just when I'm feeling a little dehydrated. I turned to it so it could just, my God, set me straight, make me feel like a million bucks again, and just get me ready for the day. So please head on over to their website. That's liquid-iv.com to check out their amazing line of products. And get this, when you use promo code Art of the Beholder, all one word, you'll get 20% off your order. Now, if you need a little direction on where to start, I recommend Lemon Lime. Guys, you're going to love it won't be disappointed so please give it a shot and get more fuel for life's adventures now back to the show so uh we're gonna start as i already said with ain't them body saints 2013 i want to just give a quick synopsis about the story and then i'm gonna give mr ryan the floor again so ain't the body saints tells the story of bob maldoon played by Casey Affleck and Ruth Guthrie played by Rooney Morrow. It's a neo, what I would call a neo Western about an outlaw couple that answers pretty much this question. What happens to Bonnie and Clyde after all the bank robberies, all the fucking takedowns, all the car chases and when their past finally catches up with them. Yeah, yeah, I, I could definitely uh, agree with you there on that. It was definitely a Bonnie and Clyde uh, after. They didn't die <laughs> that horrible, Post. horrible uh, uh, shootout uh, that went down in history, but kind of they got away with it, but, you know, you don't get away with stuff like that. Yeah, what was the first thing that stood out to you? Oh, the first thing that stood out to me was its low light uh, it's low light uh, scenes. Absolutely, yes, absolutely. I mean, there's tons of them. Uh, even the daylight scenes. There's a lot of low light scenes. Um, not jumping too far in the film, but he kind of revisits that broken down barn um, where uh, 
Ben Foster's character uh, is pretty sure he's in the building and he decides not to go up into a very ominous attic where <laughs> um, where uh, our lead character is sitting there with a shotgun. He would have definitely. And man, you want to talk about sweating bullets uh, when it got to that, that that movie really uh, gave you a low intensity uh, that kind of kind of held over everyone's character. Like, is this person going to die now? Is this person going to get it? Um, but you know what else this movie did very well? It, it introduced um, this love story between them two. And um, I actually put that in my outline. Like, I feel like at the core of this movie is a yeah. love story. And um, and I feel like there's an incredible there's incredible chemistry between what I would call, you know, like uh, filmmakers do this all the time. They they get their guy or they get their gal and then they reuse them in films over and over again. And Casey Affleck is is the guy. It's his go to actor. Yeah. And to a lesser extent, I would say Rooney Mara is because we saw them again and uh, a ghost story, which we'll get to here in a minute. Uh, but yeah, the, the cinematography was the first thing that touched me. I was like, Jesus fucking Christ, the, the framing and how he would use how he would use. I would say uh, a lot of natural day, you know, lighting too. Yeah, as well. it seemed like it was very natural lit. And it's kind of hard to tell sometimes when um, you know you have a production team that is doing so well at lighting stuff. You can't tell, but I, I really think with the very very open shots, especially especially with them at the shootout at the beginning of the movie, um, I felt like they were that was all natural and practical lighting, um, setting that tone and setting the mood cinematically for um you know what began and kickstarted the film yeah no no you're you're our resident film expert now so if you want to nerd out on just lighting for like five minutes please do so i know our audience uh <laughs> if they're anything like us us deep divers they're gonna be like yes they finally touched on the lighting for for five minutes well you know the the thing that was um you know i saw uh what's uh daniel day lewis's last not to veer off too much but daniel day lewis's no, no, last Lanier, year, the phantom Phantom, Phantom thread? thread. Yeah, Phantom so Thread. Phantom um, thread is like almost all natural light. Oh shit, okay. It, yeah, yeah, and I and I'm sure that is, you know, there's there's some there's some studio lights going on in there, but you can almost tell by how soft everything kind of looks. Um and how um natural light kind of bounces off of things. You know, I've been on some sets before and I've seen huge 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 like soft boxes go up to basically recreate natural light when there's tons of natural light everywhere but you got to get that certain look you know cameras lenses aren't our eyes yet and hopefully they'll never be <laughs> and that's uh that's probably like a pre-gym gem of the week because paul thomas anderson i'm a huge fan of his work and he's he's kind of like a david lowry yeah you know he's kind of in that same camp of filmmaker where they they definitely lean more on the art house side of their of their artistic choices and uh yeah that's a perfect that's a perfect comparison for this kind of episode. Oh my yeah. God. Yes. So, um, you know, I, when I talk, when we talk about film in our episodes, um, there's a lot of things that we can touch on. And, and like we talked about in the pre-show, I mean, we could, uh, some of these movies we could talk about for an entire hour, definitely in the last one, uh, because there's always plot versus dialogue versus characters, cinematography, color, lighting, order of set design, theme, symbolism, and messages. Right. And then, and that's outside of special effects and all of the, the other thing that, that make the, the movie magic, 
movie magic, right? Right. Uh, so I I did want to touch on before we move on to Pete's Dragon. What a one eighty. Yeah, filmography. Yeah. God, yeah. Uh, is um, you know the plot. Let's do plot, dialogue, and characters a little bit. So the plot is is very simple when you get right down to it. And since he writes his own pieces, I will say this about his writing uh, style and choice: it is it is simple. It's deceptively simple, though. And I think where he he really shines is with his monologues. And when um, Casey Affleck's character talks about the fact that he thinks of him as the devil, but mm. that he turned into a man one day, I felt like that was powerful. That really hit me. And it really creates this mythos to the characters that he he wanted to create in the archetype that is the Bonnie and Clyde character, right? Is there anything that really stuck out to you uh, in terms of those kind of that, that trinity of things, plot, dialogue, first characters? So, you know... I actually have to say the opposite. Now, now not that it's bad in any way, because it's not. It's fantastic, and it's it's. Super Are you talking cool. about the writing is not bad? You no, know, I think I yes, yes, yes. To, to be clear, I think them with his monologues. I think the things that really push the story, but push the emotion, is the bouts of silence that he puts in his character. Yeah, the quietness that his characters bring um, that we will definitely see in a ghost story. <laughs> but oh my God. Yeah. You know, half the, the movie is the half the more movie 75%. Right? Yeah, exactly. But he does that. And I, I was looking for that when I rewatched ain't those body, ain't the body saints is there are a lot of times where Casey Affleck's character is kind of in thought a lot, even Ben Foster's yeah. character is in thought a lot and it pushes so much when the dialogue does come. I feel like it is, pushed by that silence that these words mean something and that's when that devil line came across i was like oh this is great it really landed hard oh it hit hard but it also landed really well uh and it was, there was a callback to it uh and the dying scene was the, also the scene of life when he was laying on her lap speaking into yeah. the, the the unborn baby of theirs and i thought that that circle you know, that circle that brought from him laying in her lap for the for for his last moments and him laying in her lap talking about how life is going to be good and great and how he was also content. I think for the only two times in that film, he was content on screen on those two times with death in front of his baby and life uh, in his wife's stomach. And I thought that just oh, I just hit hard. Guys, again, anybody listening, this is why I like to talk about different mediums, because at the end of the day, uh, film or TV or, or whatever it is, is is a visual medium. That's why there is, you know, so I definitely respect, you know, like a, I respectfully disagree kind of point, because I feel like this is a little different, though, just to piggyback back off of your your point is this is probably a masterclass in direction, whereas probably we see this a lot in film where the original script isn't always going to end up end up in the final cut. Absolutely. Be because um, when we get into the editing phase of films, you know, if something's not working or they have to create emotion or the drama or the comedy, depending on the, the, the genre of the film and the tone, right. um, a lot of those, we want the actors to act, right? We want to feel that sympathy and that empathy. We want to be in their shoes. And sometimes we don't need any <laughs> dialogue, right? We just need to see them emoting and kind of fall into the world that is 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 the narrative or the plot. Uh, so yeah, well put. Uh, I think that's a, that's a, that's an excellent place to, to move on to the 180 that is 
Pete's Dragon. This is 2016. This is a Disney <laughs> Disney IP. And the um, uh, again, just a quick synopsis. It tells the story of an orphaned feral boy who befriends a dragon on his quest to find a family he wants lost. It stars Bryce Dallas Howard, Oaks Fegley, Wes Bentley, Carl Urban, Una Lawrence and Robert Redford. Put a pin on Robert Redford because he's he's going to come up again later. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but Pete's Dragon is again. God, I where should we start? I I want to kind of start with the cinematography again. He David Lowry. He makes beautiful looking movies. He does. He he makes beautiful looking movies, and it seems to be kind of effort, effortlessly. Um, you know, he might be pulling. Well, I said deceptive. You know, like his his dialogue is deceptive. Like everything seems like it's very easy, but yeah. I, we know it's not. It's no, so hard. No. Um, the the way the movie looks, uh, the way he shot, once again, a, a lot of a lot brighter than Anthem Body Saints, but still, it seems dark scenes there was there were some dark scenes in the home and i think he just knows or in the how, cave in the, the cave um he just knows how to work the camera in the lens around low lit situations that are very and i think almost specifically david lowry's yeah it, it he's creating his own uh what we call a uh cinematic language right that every every great director kind of has their style and their look. And now that, you know, he's really getting in into it more and more, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but when we talk about the last film to date, there's, there's actually, we'll, we may have another film uh, in uh, 2022 by the, the uh, release of this episode, mm-hmm. but um, the last release to date, I feel like really puts so many of those together. And we really see this David Lowry signature, right? But um, just, I mean, the things that I highlighted is uh, plot characters. Of course, we already talked about cinematography, special effects, color versus lighting, which is kind of cinematography, we already said. And of course, the message of the film. Uh, so uh, let's, maybe let's let's switch gears to special effects. Uh, I, was, I actually watched this one with my wife and she was, the first thing that she noticed, she was like, it's kind of it's funny to even think about um she was she kind of was kind of yelling at the screen her stage name that i've given her is tv del rio so tv del rio was yelling dragons don't have fucking fur and i have scales like she would just like made it a big point like it really bothered her and i was like honey this is a you know this is a children's film they're they because like the the dragon to me I, i don't know tell me what you thought but to me it was like it was like a puppy like a dog and i think that's why they make that illusion in the story version that elliot you know since he gives the dragon's name or he names the dragon elliot but in the dog in that story it's it's elliot too right and there's also a scene where uh elliot literally sees his tail her tail yeah sees her tail and chases it for a while you know i mean it is for all purposes a dog from from (laughs) you know and and if i didn't already know from you know, it's it's an old show. Yeah, it's an old show, and it was a musical. They did do a film version. You can watch the old version as well, I think, on Disney Plus, something like that. But it was a musical once. As right, well. right. And and for, for all intents and purposes, if I wouldn't have already known what was going to happen, I would have thought it was all in the kid's head initially. The Kind of the way it was. I'm so glad you brought this up. I didn't yeah, say the, the, yeah, the way it was shot and the way um, it... Uh, the way the dragon was around and not around. Now, when he started knocking trees down, I was like, Oh, okay. He's, he's here. He's real. 
Um, there's no way. Or when he used that like uh, camouflage ability where he could turn himself invisible, exactly. I thought, is this in his head? That's is when it, it really turned exactly. Into, it, the, right. the, the camouflage thing was like, okay, well, this this is a manifestation of you know the book loneliness, you know, being by himself, losing whatever. His it is. Family, yeah, losing his family and all that. Um, but as far as plot and story, if we can slide, yeah, yeah, yeah no, way, no. I, I think plot and Please. story um, were, was pretty run of the mill. Uh, very I, I, straightforward. Yes, very straightforward. And, and it's, it's a Disney film. Nothing really to write home about. Nothing new. Exactly. But I do like certain things. I do like um, subtleness of Robert Redford kind of bringing uh, the truth to the dragon. Uh, kind of out of out of the out of the gate. I don't love um what's what's his name he played bones in star trek i know you just oh said uh, carl urban carl urban I, I didn't love i know there had to be an antagonist um yeah. <clears throat> to kind of push it along but to create the drama yeah, to create the drama and stuff like that but I, they didn't make him too nefarious which i did under i did like um because i mean they like they, they could have just blown like shot the guy you know what i mean shot the <laughs> shot the thing but i did i did like the bryce's character she really, really, really put a subtleness in us, and and you knew kind of when she came in. Oh, this may be the mom. Um, oh, definitely. And, oh, she has uh, a sweetness to it. She has a sweetness, and she is gorgeous. Um, easy on the eyes, very easy on the eyes. My my God, yeah. We don't have to focus on that in this show, but yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I do think that for the overall film, it's probably my least favorite one that he's got going. Okay. Um, Why? It just was other than what he did behind the lens. Um, it was edited well. Uh, the dragon, I did like the fur aspect, to be honest. The, the, <laughs> you know, I know why. Uh, we need to do a agree. show, me, you, and TV Del Rio. We can yeah, argue about for scales for dragons. I'd t- like that. Yeah, TV, I know TV Del Rio hated it, but um, I actually <laughs> like the, I like the furness because it gave a, a, a very not not just on the dog aspect i did like the fact that it gave and uh, he could touch him and you could see yeah yeah it made him a little more real a little more real a little more relatable and a little more likable because i think um peace dragon didn't look cool in any iteration this one the old one um i wasn't a huge fan of the way the dragon looked from the get-go so scales no scales um it still looked a little cartoonish, yeah. but I think that was, you know, we live in this in this age of we have enough special effects. We have enough advanced technology, I should say it that way, that if they wanted to make it look more real, they could have. But because this was a family film, I think they, they really wanted to pull it back. And I um, let me let me uh, let me piggyback on the question why and say, you know, as artists, um, sometimes the old saying, I'm going to do one for me and then I'm going to do one for them. Do you feel yeah. like there's maybe a, a part of that with Absolutely. this? Absolutely. I, I definitely, and no slight or any kind of a shade on Lowry. You got to play the game, play the know? game, make yeah, the money, want, make the film. We got to have a career, right? He yeah. didn't make a bad film. No, it's, it's not a bad movie. It's, it's technically movie. good, but not, it doesn't hold a candle to his other films, essentially. No, no. Right. or any other, to be honest, like any other. It's proficient. Maybe that's a nice way. To yes, that's perfect. That's the that's that's perfect. You know. Um, but once again, uh, we were talking about characters being uh, characters, not uh, actors or um, crew being recycled. 
Daniel Hart, that was to me, the, the composer, Daniel Hart, that was one of his best. I think the music, though, is really what stood out and really, to me, helped bring the visuals uh, and made Pete's Dragon a little more um, palatable, in my in, in my opinion. Not that the film was bad, once again, just the simple fact that, once again, it was fan service, I think, you know. We've talked about this in our other shows where music can elevate a film beyond anything it it, it maybe its initial vision uh, served because I, I, the most famous example is E.T. You know, when you take out a lot of the music from E.T., it's kind of boring, honestly. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, stuff like this uh, can really can really elevate it. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we touched on the main things I want to touch on for Pete's Drag. It's still guys still give it a watch. Yeah. You know, like I think it's it's important for his filmography, mm-hmm. because, again, I think when we get to the conclusion uh, section of this piece, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about him finding his identity as a filmmaker and him finding his style. And part of that process is, is to have things like this. They don't always, you know, they're not going to they're not going to maybe win all the accolades and, you know, it's not going to be every art artist's favorite art house film or whatever. But it's important for the evolution of the craft, in my opinion, where like people still have to practice, you know, the craft and be better. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure the check's nice, too. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't hurt. He's still got to he's got to keep the lights on. Right. Yeah, Come man. on, man. <laughs> OK, uh, but uh, I do want to touch on this before we go to the next one, because what I also like about his filmography, and this is where I will give a little more defense to Pete's Dragon, though it is it is a, a weaker entry in his filmography, is um, he keeps wanting to do something different. And I love that yeah. when filmmakers challenge themselves. Mm-hmm. And that leads us to a ghost story, 2017. And this is his take on a supernatural tale because it's uh spoilers guys if you didn't already know this again i like to say tough titties um (laughs) it's not a scary movie it's not a horror movie it's actually this is if you haven't seen the common thread throughout his films and this is part of his signature it's another character piece he loves character pieces and it tells the story of a man who dies in a car crash awakens in limbo as a ghost and tries to find the wife he left behind it stars, oops, shocker, Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara. They have good chemistry, and I, I will. I, I'm gonna. I want to give a full disclosure before we discuss this guy Ryan because uh, this is my favorite. This is this is my favorite yeah. of the five. Yeah, it, it it it. There's something about it. It's probably. I would. Uh, I would say uh, this is arguable, but maybe more of the art house piece. I think I think a good uh, competitor would, of course, be the Green Knight as his most artistic outing yet. But there's something about Ghost Story that is so is so human and yeah. told through the scope of a superhuman lens, right? A supernatural lens. Yep. Uh, with the <laughs> the ghost and the ghost story, um, and so let's uh, let's. Let's start with plot and narrative. I think that's a good place to start with this and, and a little touch on characters. Okay. Well, plot and narrative, um, like you said, uh, it is the telling of a ghost um, that's trying to reconnect with everything he lost. It's that house. It's the love of his life. It's his life, really. And, you know, it's it's really, really awesome how this is told because this is probably one of the best, most natural slow burn films that I've ever watched. And it I tell a lot of people that before I tell them to watch it. I'm like, you need to watch this film. Like, especially if it's a person who loves film. It is the epitome of 
what you're supposed to do with a slow burn. Oh, I have a tangent for you. Okay, so I, I, um, yes, slow burns can be captivating, is what is how I put it when they're done right. And this is a perfect example of of slow but captivating. And the other, I feel like a gold standard is uh, Denis Villeneuve's Arrival mm-hmm. uh, for slow, but it's so captivating. It, right, it right. gets under your skin. You want to watch it over and over again. And guys, a ghost story is no different. And like we talked about earlier, um, again, this is, so we should talk about this a little bit before we move on. There is a difference between plot and narrative. A lot of people interchange them all the time. I even do that. I'm, I'm very guilty. So don't come after me, Twitter mob, but <laughs> for the plot is the general beats of the story, right? Mm-hmm. And the narrative is how the filmmaker artist, or whatever the medium is, 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 is telling that story is, is giving you the things. And what I love about this is unlike his first two films, this one's chopped up. Right. There's it is not linear. It it'll it'll go to, um, you know, the present back to the past, back to the present, back to the past. Right. And then we, we probably I'm getting ahead of myself again. And then we need to talk about the concept of time in the film. But before we do that, I want to talk about the first thing that touched my eyes, like the first thing I noticed when I rewatched it. And that was the aspect ratio. Mm-hmm. You know, it it was it was the box. It was the square. We, we didn't get a widescreen. And I think me and you both know why it's intimacy, but tell the good people why a filmmaker would choose something like that. Well, it's all about, like you said, that narrative, um, really, really, really telling. So I shot something for a friend not too long ago in that same aspect ratio. Ooh, um, you you want to plug it? Can, is it something we can watch or, or buy? It's not something we can watch or buy. It was something, ah, it was something ah. that I shot for a school project for him. Okay. He, may, he may still have it. But it's nothing. We can buy it from him, right? <laughs> yeah, he <laughs> he can sell it on Etsy it. or something. <laughs> I, it was the first. It was the first thing I did when I arrived back to San Antonio about a year ago, and he was like, "Man, I really need you know you're back. Can you shoot this for me? It's for a school project." And I said, "Sure." What's the script? This, that, and the third. Uh, and it was about a person that was trapped in a room hmm. with their daughter and them having to deal with. The, guess the end times okay so and, like a dystopian apocalyptic tale yes but it's all in the room and through yeah kind of through these stories because it was supposed to be them go outside and i was like let's just shoot it in the house and she is kind of putting her to bed for the for the last time and he was like cool and we shot it and i shot it in cinemascope and it was great and i said man let's let's switch this let's switch this aspect ratio up let's get it tighter let's let's make all the all the shots that are that we can do that are in frame with them too. Cause it's so close for them to be together in the, like the master bedroom. I was like, let's just do this. And um, my inspiration for that was this movie. Yeah. And I think um, him choosing this aspect ratio was just the story wouldn't have been told the same way without this aspect ratio. And I think the intimacy between him, everyone who walked in that home, even him, even him denying the afterlife. Cause that's a really cool scene when, when he's walking down the portal opens. Oh yeah. man. When it's like, all right, man, come on in. He's like, mm, not done. Like, yeah, no. I'm, nah, I'm not done here. So um, I, I think without that aspect ratio, I don't think we would have gotten the same feel. We definitely gotten the same story, but it wouldn't have felt the same in how I felt when I left, when, when the credits ran, you know, yeah. that's, that's all that really matters. So to me, if, if that helped, um, the fans, the listeners, uh, watch this movie and just pay attention to what that aspect ratio does to your mind and how you conceive everything 
that goes on in the story because there's not a lot of dialogue. And I think I think what we hit on before with that aspect ratio, that helps. That helps bring the story um, closer to us. Absolutely. Yeah. Again, well put. Thanks. And uh, I'm glad you brought up the um, <laughs> the the choice scene in, in the hospital mm, because mm-hmm. we forget that. Um, again, this is a visual medium and we don't need a, and this is a perfect example. We don't need a really a lot of dialogue to tell the story that they want to tell. And it's still incredibly captivating. And, uh, just like, uh, what's a, a well-known example, something like the Mandalorian where we don't get to see the face of the actor emote, you know, through the entire thing. And, and you're only seeing, you're seeing Casey Affleck a little bit. Uh, through the film, but most of the time he's in this sh- in the sheet as the ghost most of the movie, but he's still acting uh, because every like every choice to um, just stand still and create uh, space, as you put it, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, let the scene really just be and things of that nature. Remember, that's still a choice. That's still a stylistic choice. It, there's probably a lot of direction by David, but you know, there's, you know, there's, there's always a team element and the actors are, are, are choosing how to act out the scene too. And so even just like a little bit of a head a change or a nod mm-hmm. or a wave of, you know, just even how he moved his body in that sheet, uh, it, it created the character. And I do want to say this, I may, I put this in my notes. This could have easily been silly, guys. Yeah. Like on on paper, like yeah. this could have been so fucking stupid, you know, because he literally isn't just in a sheet as a ghost the whole film. Mm-hmm. But it's done in such a way, again, because this is I get this is what would separate someone like David Lowry from a lot of other filmmakers, is he really makes it work and he still makes it like dramatic and foreboding and mm-hmm. it, you feel you feel this extreme emotion with almost nothing in between you and the character. Usually we have dialogue and we have a face emoting or a, or a person crying. And I, of all, I, so I'll, I'll put it this way, um, just to put it in perspective, I don't cry much at movies. And every time I see this, I tear up a little bit at the end. If that puts it in perspective. Yeah. Well, let me tell you something about myself. I, I am very passionate and I cry a lot in movies, man. I cry. <laughs> I cry. Oh, well, I'm passionate, but sometimes the movie, the movie doesn't always get me there. You know, like I'll tear up a little bit, but I, I'm not, I'm not wailing. I'm not, I, I'm not I think, wa- uh, waterfalls. Yeah. I think I need to see a therapist or something, man. I'm, I'm balling on all. Like, <laughs> this I, is the therapy right here, man. This is We're it, doing man. It. Pr- yeah. Thank you for having me, man. Yeah. yeah. I'll send the invoice. Send me yeah. invoice. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, the, the very subtle movements of, of Affleck in this film and the way the camera was positioned, cause there's a, there's a lot of, there are a lot of, um, full body shots so you can like see like from head to toe he's covered shrouded but there are a lot of tracking shots um or follow shots where it's down below looking up at Affleck Affleck and you can see his subtle movements of him looking down to them time changing rapidly and we get this time change by him looking maybe out of out of the window and then the camera pans over to the window and we realize oh um, we just had a flash forward. We just yeah. had a flash forward. And that's how we are literally moving with him uh, and not really with everyone else. And I think the simple fact that he was almost not in the middle of the frame, but he was in frame all the time. And that passage of time just felt so natural. Um, and those movements 
um, or not moving. Uh, the the scene that I really, really love is when uh, we get our first taste of passing of time. And that is when he's standing in the in the corner and it's a very long static shot. And we see Rooney's character um, walk out of the bathroom, out of the door and then out of the bathroom, out of the door then out of the bathroom, out of the front door again, wearing different clothes. And that's when you're like, Oh yeah. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, this is, br-. that's when I, that's when I fell for the movie right there. And I was like, Oh, yeah. this Lowry guy. Cause I'm, st- I'm st- at that time. I'm still, you know, who's David Lowry really? I, I, I saw this, is, this was my first film that I saw of his. Okay. Too. Okay. Yeah. So, so I saw on a whim, um, um, ain't them body, ain't, ain't them body saints. Uh, oh, that was your first. So you started in the beginning. So, but I saw it before I saw a ghost story. So I saw a ghost. Um, I, I saw it. I know it came out before, but right. So wait, before. you saw a ghost story first, or ain't no, 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 no. I'm sorry. First? I saw Ain't Nobody Saints first, but it was literally 25 minutes in between the films. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, it was 25 minutes. It was during COVID when I was okay. like, all right. I was like, who's this Larry dude? And and I got the <laughs> I got the the whiff of um I got the whiff of Lowry because you know a Green Knight was delayed due to COVID. Because I was, I was like, it's not coming out. Because I was, I mean, when I say I was shitting myself when I saw the trailer, I was shitting myself. So I was like, man, let me see what this Lowry dude's up because I had never heard of him. And then Pete's Dragon came after that because I was dating a, um, a young woman with two kids, and she was like, he reminds me, the boy reminds me of my young, you know. So I was like, all right, let's watch it. Let's let's pull it back. I do have a question for you before we move Go, on. No, I no have worries. to ask. You're t- you're talking about the time, the time jumps. We're we're on that. So I have to ask this before we move on, and that is this: Do you believe that time bounced back, or do you think he lapsed the concept of universal time? And that's how he saw himself again at the end. So this was the question I was going to ask you because I actually have a lot of questions about this film. I, I, we may have to do, we may have to do another episode on just a ghost story because we don't have. I'm looking at the clock. Yeah, just give me, give me one sentence. What do you think it is? I think time is a construct, and it didn't, it doesn't matter to a spectral being. Mm, I, I think, okay. I, I think with him staying in limbo, um, just like ghosts from, just like we see ghosts coming in with, you know wearing clothes from you know 1846 they're just stuck in that loop they're just stuck in that loop i thought it was saying to to me again in my humble opinion i thought because we got that big monologue by that hipster guy i thought i thought time ended the universe went through its own time life uh lifespan if you will and then went back started over went back to the big bang and then we started over but the only i i I don't know i really have to dissect this because we would probably see a different history. We're seeing the exact same timelines again. Right. I'm not sure if that would happen. So um, interesting point. Uh, anybody listening, tell us what you think. Tweet at us, email us. Please, um, I need to know. <laughs> put a comment into his Instagram account. We'll tell you about it again later if you forgot. Uh, and that needs to lead us to The Old Man and the Gun, 2018. Ooh. And again, we're changing genres. This is like an organized crime film, or I, I would, you know, an easy way to say it is like a heist film, but it is again, it's more than that. Uh, it's another character piece, no, no surprise. And it tells the story of an aging bank robber named Forrest Tucker that just can't seem to stop his old ways. Uh, he just kids is like a is like a drug, man. We also meet a new love interest along the way, and the detective that is just going out of his way as his life pursuit to catch him. Now, what's cool about this one is this is semi-based on a true story, and it stars Robert Redford, 
just like Pete's Dragon. Uh, so again, we're seeing that cross pollination again of of the actors he likes to choose for his roles. Uh, and uh, no surprise, Casey Affleck, uh, Danny Glover, uh, Tika Sumter. A very happy uh, being a music buff. Uh, I'm not the resident film buff, but I, or film film expert, but I'm probably the resident music expert. Tom fucking Waits was in the film, and uh, Sissy Spacek. Yeah. Um, I you know I I only bolded out one thing for this, um, and then I have a question for you. Sure. And that the big thing I want to highlight and focus on is again the characters this was a character piece and um i i will start it with this uh with this question for you ryan why do we root for the criminal genius in these kind of films we know on paper you know he's a bad person he's a bad guy but we like him we root for him just like what was his name danny ocean and oceans 11 oh, just yeah. like just like i mean we could do a laundry list of of films that have it's usually within this genre i noticed too they're always trying to steal something and they have to have this elaborate plan and they're this there's these criminal minds these genius minds but we root for them. Why? Yeah. Well, you know, I think it's fun, but I also <laughs> think <is> fun. <laughs> I also think it's charm. I and that is one thing that like Danny, we live vicariously. Maybe oh yeah, and that's one thing that Danny Ocean and um, Forrest really had in common was charm. I mean, he that the 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 I think it was the first second woman you see uh, that was first day on the job, and he's robbing her, and he's like, "I hey, don't cry." He's like, "You're doing a great job." She was like, "It's my first day, dude," and. He's like, well, guess what? You're doing fantastic. <laughs> and she cracks a smile. And I think I think those are the characters. Because honestly, if there is a guy, let me tell you who I didn't, Thieves, I didn't root for. Um, I know we're running on time, but the Thieves I didn't root for were the guys in the horror film Don't Breathe when they broke into the blind guy's house. I was like, these dudes. I didn't get I didn't I didn't get to I, I didn't get to see that one. You're not missing no. much, yeah. man. But I mean okay. They, okay. Were, they were <laughs> trash cans, they broke in. So there there is a I think a big difference in what we root for, what we like. Um, and what we want to relate to even being bad people. Uh, Danny Ocean, though, stole from, you know, a douchebag and um, where like, yeah, Forrest, the, who they stole from is always like worse. Right. Forrest, That's how we yeah. can kind of well, Forrest wasn't, though. They're the kind of the criminal. So Forrest was was a nice guy in a way. He was like, a nice he just, guy, but he was stealing. He just from... had a very specific <laughs> career choice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But as far as to talk about the film a little more, um, the film itself was so beautifully shot and he used this film grain that gave it a very very old feel a very 80s late 70s feel that i think complemented what we saw so well because we were looking at an older guy who you know we find that he's wearing the earpiece but the earpiece is divisive in itself um this movie was strong, this movie was strong. <laughs> i i saw it in the ultra hd and i think that was a mistake i yeah. I, I there's something about we talk, i think uh film lovers talk about this a lot there is something to be said about a little grain and a little bit it creates the um it creates the, the fantasy of the film that we're not watching real life and with right. ultra hd i felt like they were in the room with me and it kind of took me out of the movie a little bit yeah um but but yes i agree i and this is actually uh we'll talk about this in the conclusion section i feel like anybody listening right now you have to be seeing a similar thread here is the cinematography over and over again. We're bringing this up. And I think at the heart of who David Lowry is, is he's a cinematographer that also directs films. That's how I look at him. Yeah. Yeah. That, that didn't go to school that he didn't go to college. Right. Is, that well, right? some artists, uh, I don't know all of that part of his history, but some artists don't need, you know, institutionalized education on their craft to 
be good at it, right? It's sometimes Absolutely. just practice and vision, and it's, um, he has it a gives, lot of that. <laughs> it gives me, yeah, it gives me hope because um, I've got vision. I have, I'm, you know, I'm good. in school for, um, you know, film like a like a credit or whatever, but sure. I don't have it's 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 not extensive stuff like you know big big school stuff, and it's really really inspiring to see these guys who are just certified geniuses making beautiful work who may have not gone to, you know, a higher education. Anywho. Um, Sometimes we see, I see the opposite. I'll see someone that really tried to go down the road of, you know, I usually see it since I study musicians more than anything, I see them, you know, like go to Berkeley or something and then they drop out. They're like, this isn't really helping me, you know, nurturing my artistic itch. I just need to do it. So I, I get that, you know, so. Is there anything you want to hit on this film in particular? No, there's not. I, I, I just, I really wanted to talk about that, and I, I wanted your, your, um, uh, your take on why we root for the, for the, for the bad guys, and, and you did that. So I think we can, I think we can move on to the, the movie. I think we're both excited to talk about, which is The Green Knight, mm-hmm. 2021, and again, it's a change in genre. This is a medieval epic, and this is, um. Well, let me let me let me give the background. So it tells the story of Sir Gawain and his quest to repay a debt to the Green Knight, of course, and his fantastical trials and tribulations along the way. It stars Dave Battelle, Alicia Van Kander, Joel Edgerton, Sarita Chaudhuri, Sean Harris, and Ralph Innocent. And I want to start the conversation with this. It so remember I was I in my outline I would highlight you know sometimes plot sometimes characters some a lot of cinematography but I I highlighted the whole goddamn list on this one <laughs> I feel like it came everything he wanted to do or everything he did do well in the, his last set of movies he did perfectly in this one yeah yeah um, this is uh, it's it's I've seen a lot of film as as you can tell I mm-hmm. this is in my top. 10 movies of all time and uh, i'm wow. pretty sure it's gonna move closer to five once i kind of revisit what's number one film. right now i'm curious uh, well the, the number one is to me the greatest most important film in cinema history and that is raiders of the lost ark and oh and, and, that's good you know, we i'm not even gonna don't get me started. So yeah, we'll um, go on, a, on the biggest tangent uh, of our no, entire career. Do not of, get me started of this whole show's history. Right? I, will, I will say one uh, one thing about that that's really cool. Soderbergh did a version of uh, a retelling of Raiders, kind of where he just yeah. makes it black and white. Even Soderbergh, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, he makes it black for and the white. for the listeners that don't know. I got to yeah, I have to right. spell things out sometimes. No, no, he, you're good. He go puts ahead. It's a go techno ahead. soundtrack behind the entire movie with no audio and he's like you could watch this movie like this and it's still fantastic. give us a mini review how did it come out it's not having the audio i mean williams is just how can you how can you mute williams um yeah and obviously not hearing anything he's a just, he's a genius like a zimmer like a yeah he's like a noble umetsu but um yeah uh but yeah anyway it 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 was it was weird, but it was very cool to see. And also that I'm just not a crazy person. Um, that, <laughs> that people do see this movie as you're a, not a, a sadist, right? Yeah, <laughs> Ryan. Yeah. Um, but back torturing to, myself here. Back to the point at hand. Yeah, Arthurian tale, which which definitely takes a different uh, telling. Um, I don't think could have been casted any better. To we be, we should honest. tell the good people. So, uh, guys, this is based off of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. Right. And so this is like a side story within that universe. Right. Yep. Yep. And what what is so beautiful about that is that he stuck 
to that notion. And that was one of the things that I love. Other than King Arthur, if you were dull and you just didn't realize what you were watching or maybe you sat down halfway through, you, you don't get introduced to Merlin, but you know that's Merlin. Right. You don't get introduced to any. And he has what? Night. Seconds at the only the beginning. Oh, right. We have a few seconds beginning. at the beginning. beginning and, and, there's a, and they there's just a nod at each other. Yeah. And you're yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I had to rewatch my second viewing of this. I appreciated the film so much more because yeah. when, if you're not in the right, again, this is a little bit of a slow burn. Let's warn our, let's warn our audience, a little bit of a slow burn, be in the mood for more of an art house film. But yeah. if you, if you are buckle up, Oh my God. Whew. Yeah. It, it, um, I knew as soon as we saw the green Knight actually arrive on Christmas morning, um, the, the sound that was used for the Green Knight, the Foley that was used for him and Foley for anyone who does not know is just is is sounds made to go with what you're watching in post. So um, that Foley that was used for him. But when he showed up and everyone grabbed their swords and he walked in on on King Arthur and King Arthur looked over to Merlin. And this is when we get our introduction. It goes red because Merlin's doing some magic shit. And he looks back and he shakes his head like, no, nah, man, put your nah. sword away. Like, nah. this ain't what you want, man. This, this is a fool's game. And we get into basically the story of Sir Gawain, who is next in line because he is blood. He's next in line to really hold the, to, to be crowned as king. And he is, lack of a better word, a frat boy. <laughs> he is. He drinks. He, he fucks. Uh, he sleeps. He was, you know, watching it a second, third, fourth, fifth and sixth time. You know, the very beginning, I didn't understand. In the very beginning, you see a burning, um, you know, home off in the distance, a guy leaving his assumably wife, grabbing a sword and running off. And then it pans from that scene or pushes in away from that scene to see a sleeping drunk or hungover. Sir Gawain. And I didn't really get that scene because nothing else really comes up about it. But that was to show us off the gate that this dude is not about that life. He is about being the nephew of the king. He's probably pretty well off. He has sex. He drinks. That's his life. And when the story came on, the question came along to uh, regale us of a tale, he didn't have anything. And that really is what set in motion the urge to beat the Green Knight at his game, which it was just that, a game. Now, I don't know if you have read the original telling. of. I have not, no. Okay, so there's a lot we're not going to go too heavy into that because there's a lot. But there's a, uh, um, for one, uh, his mother wasn't a witch. She was even kind of barely mentioned in the original. Mm. But it's a good thing that that was done that way because it does push the notion of, which you could read my small review on my Instagram page, of that he, his mother knew that he was not prepared to do anything with the throne, with the Excalibur, with the crown. And, um, you know, not Lancelot, Lancelot was going to crumble, basically. So she sends this green knight because she knew he was going to jump at the bit to, to prove himself. He sends that she sends that green knight to put him on this quest. Now, rather he really, you know, made it through the quest or not is on him. But I thought that was such a great story adjustment and plot telling uh, or plot setting um, by Lowry because it really set the tale, which is kind of very different from what we're knowing um, by Anonymous, whoever wrote the freaking original one. But um, man, his turning his um, skills as a director, as you said, all came 
<laughs> all came into a point that is the Green Knight, and um, I couldn't have been happier when I left the theater four times. So, <laughs> absolutely, four wow, four times, yeah. absolutely. I uh, I couldn't agree more. And um, you know, I I feel what I love about David's work is that um, I feel like the even if you don't aren't aren't going to analyze these pieces like me and Ryan does. Um, and we, we don't, we don't expect you to don't, that's why, that's why we we do it for you is, is the message at the end of the day will always shine through and the, and the message, the, the theme or the conclusion, what you're supposed to get out of it. And for this piece to me is a tale is a tale of honor. You know, what is our, what is our, what is our perception of what honor is? How do we gain it? And how do we be a good person versus what we should be? And who we want to be, exactly. you know, mm-hmm. and I um, again, we could do a whole show on this and uh, maybe we did. Maybe it'll come out after this episode. I don't know. Maybe it's have to wait. <laughs> but uh, I do want to ask Ryan you this question before we move on into the conclusion and kind of wrap this show up. And that is this question. Does the Green Knight really behead him in the end? Is it literal or figurative? No, uh, he doesn't. We we see we see our hero turn tail and run. We get the depiction of what happens when he arrives back with the full lie uh, that he defeated the Green Knight, and he is not true. And the lie catches up to him, and he does lose his head at the end. In theory, and that's when he has that flashback and he comes back to not flashback, but um alternate seeing of what's going to happen uh and at the vision and at the very very end when he gets rid of the protective sash when he comes to terms with what he did and this is the game that was played rules laid out for him and he says you know what i am ready man this i mean this is the game this is how it had to happen and the green knight when he comes down and says you know what off with your head man I cut it off. Like technically, I did cut off your head. Boom, because I said. So you're saying when he, when the, when the Green Knight gives him that line at the very end of the film, and then of course it shoots to the to the title. So we, as the audience, get to choose, right? What we think happens. You think he, the Green Knight, that is, felt that like he learned his lesson and he let him live a more honorable life. Yeah, I, I think I, I honestly one again, have to respectfully disagree. I, I think it was very, very ambiguous. I think it was straight up like, you, you passed, kid. Like, you did it. Like, your mom set this shit up for so you. So he's still alive in your mind after the credits roll. He goes home and tells the, the true story as a man who accepted his fate. He's no longer the coward. He was mm-hmm. ready to die. And that's what it is. He t- and the sash was the big thing because the sash, as you probably remember, was given to his mom like, hey, this will keep you from. And Alicia. Well, that's a, that's a little bit of a deep dive. But uh, Alicia's character, excuse me, when she yes. plays two roles. So, yeah, anyways, go on. But uh, but uh, yes, yes, she 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 gives him the sash and says, hey, man, this will keep you from any harm. So you don't have to worry about anything. And that's why the sash was taken from him once and then returned to him again. But the sash was the big thing. He was like, I don't. I don't need this because I don't you know need what? protection. Anymore. I don't need protection, man. Because I'm a man, if, if I'm going to freaking die because of what I did, this is what I have to do. And through that, he is now ready to take on the crown. He's now ready to make adult decisions. He's now ready to not drink and be an <laughs> idiot and asshole and stuff like that. So no, I, I to, to, to solidify the answer. Yeah. I think that he did walk away from that. They, you know, 
shook hands. He jumped back on the horse, you know. <laughs> they hugged you know, it out. They <laughs> hugged it out. Like, bro, you know what you're all right, man. But, um, yeah, and he left and, and, you know, rather he failed some other way, but um, he was ready to be king. Okay. I, I, I really like that interpretation, and I think that's a good – that's a perfect – place to end the uh the conversation cool. uh, on the green night there cool, cool. and um i uh, before we get into the conclusion i do want to to excitedly announce that guys we we have another movie coming out soon we don't know when exactly but yeah. it's another disney film it is mm-hmm. peter pan and wendy uh slated to be released on disney plus i think straight to disney plus not theatrically okay uh for uh this year 2022 we don't know when but uh that's that's a probably a good segue to the conclusion you know this like we we sometimes talk about these kind of artists that are kind of in the middle of their career i think he's still I think he's still a middle front, if I were to guess. I feel like he still has a long, long set of films he wants to do, and I'm excited to see them. And just like I said earlier, I feel like David Lowry to me comes off like he's, you know, at, at, at his heart, he's a cinematographer that all that happens to write and direct films. Yep. And they're often character studies who yep. it's just like they're character studies that focus on a what I would call a constant longing for something in his first one it was love the second one was family the third one was connection or rather reconnection um the fourth one was just to live life however you you see fit and of course the last one just like we talked about was honor uh so tell let's bring it home ryan tell the good people if they haven't got into david lowry to do themselves an artistic favor and tell them why if you love art artsy films that are actually good because i've seen a lot of artsy films and people are like man this movie's art i was like you know what it was beautiful but man it was trash dunkirk's one of them to be honest with you but that's Ooh, a whole nother that's a christopher nolan jab guys it, i know it did dunkirk <laughs> it's yeah. beautiful but it was not good anywho yeah um, yeah okay i'll I mean, give you that one okay <laughs> go on <laughs> uh, but yeah but yeah if you if you do want to see some 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 art cinema yeah. Um, especially some art cinema with a budget. Go see Lowry movies. Just just check them out. They are well shot, well produced, well made, well scored as well, and uh, well written. He loves he loves what he does, and you can see it on film. I, there you have it, guys. I couldn't have said it better myself. So there you have it. The career or the the uh, recent career. We still have more more to see of uh, Mr. David Lowry from top to bottom. I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank my guest, Ryan. And yep. I want to give you, of course, before we go, a little more, a little icing on the cake, a little cherry on top with what we call the gym of the week. I, I, you know we had a little extra for you guys. So if you don't know what the gym of the week is, it's essentially something we like to talk about here at the end of our show that doesn't always fit into the scheme of the episode you know it may be in our radar in the last day the last week last month but we got to give it to you guys so you guys can dig deeper um i want to keep it short and sweet because just like i've talked about david lowry in a different episode i've talked about robert eggers i think this is he's in the exact same generation exact same camp of david lowry kind of films Mm -hmm. he only has two out uh the witch in the lighthouse and he's about to release the um the northman here pretty soon and he is he is another master of yeah. of these this new kind of school of filmmakers, and I, I urge anybody that hasn't got into his work to yeah to start with the witch and just you know kind of work your way forward. It, it, you'll get through it pretty quick. Same with David Lowry, and um, yeah, I can't say an, enough good things. Uh, Ryan, what's 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 on your radar, man? Uh, you know it's 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 not um 
film, to be honest with ooh, you. Oh, oh, a non-associated gem. I love those. Yeah, this, this is a, a PS5 game called Returnal. And um, okay, I was on the fence about that guy. Yeah, Returnal. Tell it to me, just me now. <laughs> oh no, man! Returnal is um, it's great and short. It's 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 about a woman who uh, gets stranded on a basically Groundhog's Day. Every time she crashes on this hostile planet that changes every time she dies, she dies and crashes again. It is fucking beautiful, and it is a chopped up, broken story that's told to you through a lot of playing, yeah. but. It is damn strong. I have uh, God, yeah. This has been on my radar for a while. I was on the fence because um, I yeah. I'm not a big uh, I'm not a big uh, player of soul, uh, you know, souls kind of games or bloodborne kind of games. That's like crazy difficult. So I was kind of it. I was kind of waiting to see. Honestly, when it got cheaper, I did read this. So I I, I read uh, as much as I don't read um, fiction or nonfiction, just traditional books a lot. I do read excessively and it's always like small articles about random stuff. And I did learn that, you know, the PlayStation uh, Plus and now is going to be collapsed into one service that's going to roll yeah. out later in the summer. And this is one of the free games. So I'm kind of waiting for it to come out on PlayStation Plus or now or whatever the fuck they call it. At the uh, yeah, uh, Plus Now or something like that. But yeah, man, um, when it does, I can't wait to see what you think about it because it is game of the year for whenever this game can be uh, awarded, in my opinion. It is one of the one of the better games in the last five years I've played. Okay, I, I, we may have to do an episode on, on Returnal one of these days. But until then... You can, of course, check out our some of our stuff at underscore Novo underscore Day and Day is D-E and at Novo Day Media. You can check out our website, NovoDayProductions.com. There you'll find things like The Entropy Sessions, Post Meridium, Adulteration, Cancel Culture Lotto, a lot more to come. Um, and, of course, this show. <laughs> uh, so don't forget to like, subscribe, follow, hit the notification bell. Do all the things. Please rate and review if you're listening to this on youtube you can of course comment and if you'd like to sponsor our little love child here you can reach out to us at novodaymedia at gmail.com and again to reach mr ryan selvi how do they get a hold of you my man right now um you can reach out to me on instagram e-a-t-c like eat c like cinema dot like dot com film so that's e-a-t-c dot films that is my personal page i post some of the stuff i do my my uh videography stuff i also post personal things as well uh i will have a website can they I, hire you for services as well you can definitely hire me for services or cool. if you are local so reach out to me if you need anything done videography wise i can from weddings to um birthdays to um, you know, you name it, yeah. mixers, whatever, or actual passion projects where we have scripts, direction, DP, all that stuff. Holler at me. Hey, I love it. Holler at him. Okay, guys. Until next time, be good to each other. And as always, good luck and Godspeed. We love you. Art of the Beholder is brought to you by Novo Day Productions, created and hosted by Novo Day and the Novo Day Collective. Facebook.com slash Novo Day Media, at Novo Day Media on Twitter and Instagram. Music by A Company, facebook.com slash acomusic123, aco on Spotify. Logo design by Tom Justice, J-E-S-T-U-S, of thejusticecompany.com, and executively produced by Clayton Anderson. All rights reserved.